to talk to you this morning about several different things. It's going to all center around times of refreshing. But you know, all of us probably can identify with the way that there are moments in our lives when we are just so worn out, or we feel like we're so emotionally wrought up, or we're just so physically wrung out, that there are just, I just need something to refresh me. I need something more than just a cold drink of water. I need something more than just a good night's rest. I need a something, something. I, so many of times, we don't even know what that something might be. And uh, we need a season of renewal. We need a season or a time of refreshing. We need maybe even just get our mind around the idea that there is a brand new start happening and all that that before was just, 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 well, I used to think of it this way. Yesterday was dress rehearsal. Today is the performance. I was telling somebody a little earlier that one of my, my, my college, uh, <laughs> I, I majored in forensics. Now, don't get the idea that that means I was a pathologist. I wasn't doing, that's not forensics. I'm talking forensics, which is speaking and uh, speech and drama. So that was what I was doing. Well, those moments have come and gone now, and, and, and I, I think of those as that was yesterday. Today is the day when I can do something for the Lord. Everything yesterday that might have been a failure, that was preparation for today when God can use me for something that might be really great. So I want you to open your Bibles with me, if you would, because in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, we're going to find out that the, the idea is and the purpose is of this verse is that there is a time of refreshing that is available for you. There's a time of refreshing that's available for me, but I'm going to make the choice about whether or not I get to enjoy that time of refreshing. Guess who makes the choice? I do. I get to pick the next chapter for my life. I get to pick the next chapter. Now, I can't control all the circumstances, but it's like Debbie's blames or, or tells Gary he's a glass, glass half full kind of guy. And, and, and some of us are just kind of glass half empty people. That's just kind of how we are. And we're always looking at, well, what else can happen? How much worse can it get? We need to have a place where we can go and say, Lord, it's time again. I need a time of refreshing. I need something to help me. So I want you to open, as I said, if you haven't already, to Acts chapter number 3. And you read along as I read aloud this verse, chapter 3, verse 19. Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come now to this time of studying your word, Lord, I know that you have a message here for me. And I pray that I would get to hear it today. I know that you have a message here for the youngest and for the oldest. I pray that each and every person here under the sound of my voice would leave this place differently, leave this place refreshed, leave this place with a fresh start, Father God, in whatever area it is that they've, well, that has made them so tired and has made them so weary. Father, we just love you. We ask you to move during every portion of this service that remains. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, some of you have memorized this verse before. In fact, Sonia Zareth and I, I actually, we, when I was a children's minister, we put this to music. But it's not this version. Because it goes, repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Sounds almost the same, but it's not quite the same. Some of you maybe even memorized it from the King James Version where it says, repent 
ye therefore and be converted that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There's a, there's a, a wonderful way that these things work together to help us to understand that there's a promise. In fact, there's two promises in this verse. And I want to know how can I claim, how can I receive, how can I make myself a candidate for these promises? Because that does sound like a promise to me. Does it sound like a promise to you? That your sins will be wiped away and times of refreshing? Those are promises. But they're if-then promises. Now, I don't know, this is going to date me real bad. But some of you older folks remember when computers first started. And you remember the TI-99? Anybody have one of those? I'm talking way back in high school now for me. That was one of the, it was, it was, guess what, kids? It was 16K. Y'all even know what a K is? 16,000 bits of RAM, that's all it had, 16,000. Now we talk about megabytes and terabytes and Googlebytes and all these crazy things that are so big, but that was the big deal back in the day because you had a computer and you could make it work and you could, you could do graphics on your screen for you, oh man, but you had to write the code. So they were teaching us actual programming language. That was back in the day when almost anybody could figure it out because it was a language. It was in English. It wasn't Fortran or COBOL or some of those others that are just, you know, all kinds of whiz-bangs and whizzy-wigs and all. No, it was words. And if you would go down, let's say, let's say you were trying to make something happen, and you would ask the computer a question, if X, which is the thing you're punching, if X equals the, the one key, then you go to line 100 on the computer program. And if X equals the two key, then you go to line 200 on the program. It was an if-then statement, okay? This is an if-then promise. If we'll do something, God gives us a promise. And if we will do it, God will always keep His promise. So basically, if this condition is fulfilled, then here is the certain outcome. And in this, in this verse, there's two promised results if you obey the first two requirements. So... Four points quickly as we go today. There'll be two commands and two promises, and they're all from this one verse right here. Because if we as individuals, if we as a society, if we as families, if we as a congregation, if we want to see a time of renewal, if we want to see a time of restart, a time of refreshing, then we're going to have to start the way Jesus starts this, or this, this verse starts here, as Simon Peter was preaching it, the way the Lord gave it to us in His Word. And the first word there is, therefore, but the first word is repent. Repent. Repent is still the first word of the gospel. When John the Baptist came forth preaching, he came forth preaching repentance. And he would say it nice and loud. For some reason, they chose me to play John the Baptist one time because I was louder than everybody else in the church, I think. Because they didn't have a microphone for me, but they figured I could do it anyway. Some of you all understand what that means. But John the Baptist came. What does he came, come preaching? Repentance. Jesus began saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And here, Simon Peter, as he's closing in on the invitation of his sermon, he tells them, repent. But now understand, today, sometimes people say that word, they don't mean the same thing that it means in the Bible. Because there are so-called, they call them emergent church, churches, or, or, or friendly, they're friendly to this or friendly to that, or... There are just churches that are softening this whole concept of repentance. As if to say, it doesn't mean what it used to mean. Now it just means stop it. In other words, repent. Don't do that anymore. Turn away from it. Be sorry for what you did. And, and, and the way we preach repentance today often seems to leave us only halfway through the process. Now we do have to start with turning away from the old. I mean, that's, that is the beginning of repentance. 
But there's more to it than that. So don't let the world or the, the, the liberal churches tell you that all you have to do is turn over a new leaf or just stop doing something. Face it, friends, our world is in a headlong, I mean, on a, on a charge down that broad road that leads to destruction. And that road is well lit. That road is well paved. Doesn't have any potholes. But it's heading downhill faster and faster, leading to destruction, leading to a place called hell and an eternity without Jesus. And we need to remember that, and we need to recognize that if we don't repent, if this, if this nation doesn't repent, that's going to be where we head. And what's really strange to me is we're so quick to, to admit the sins of others. I look at Washington, boy, it's full of sinners up there. I'm telling you, we can just admit that right off. Or, or we look at Hollywood, yeah, yeah, there's a whole lot of sinning going on out there, yeah? We, as long as it's somebody else, we're very quick to admit it. But the Bible tells me in 2 Chronicles 14, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's for us. That's for the believers. That's for the people that are actually following God. It's pretty specific. So I want us to think about what are some of the sins, if we're, if we're already saved, what are some of the sins maybe we've even allowed creep back into our lives, things that we might need to repent of before we can enjoy those times of refreshing? Well, the first one of those that might be lurking in the hearts of even you and me is the, the sin of rejecting the Word of God. Oh, I don't do that. I don't reject the Word of God. Uh, Listen, it happens in, in our churches, in our families, in our societies. We read the Word of God. It's black and white or sometimes red and white, and it's right there. We can't deny it, but you know what we do? We develop a bad case of the yabbits. Now, if you don't know what a yabbit is, it goes like this. I know God's Word tells me I shouldn't lie. Yeah, but, and then you find a reason to go ahead and tell the lie. Or maybe it's like this, I know I'm not supposed to watch that kind of trash, yeah, but it's got a, such a good story, it's got such a good plot line, I mean, I like that actor or that actress, so I'm going to go ahead and watch, whatever your excuse is. Or it goes like this, I know that scripture says that being gay is a sin, well being gay, yeah, but, in 2019 times have changed, in 2019 it's all different, in 2019, listen, those yabbits, what they do is they'll spiral you down that rabbit hole until you, you may never crawl back out. And people today have a bad case of the yabbits because it's a disease that will destroy families. It's a disease that will destroy churches. It's a disease that will finally destroy a society. And church, some of us need to repent for rejecting the simple, plain Word of God. All across the nation, all across our churches, all across our families, when we reject the simple Word of God, we reject the Word of the Lord, we're really rejecting the Lord of that Word. But number two, let me give you, not just repentance that we need, or, or just rejecting the Word of the Lord, but rebelling. Rebellion's number two, and that is rebelling against the authority of God. You see, not only do we reject God's Word, but we reject His authority, those that God has placed in authority over us. You know, we look around the churches today, and it's like, why don't we see these people rising up into leadership? Why don't we see more people going to seminaries? Why don't we see this? Why don't we see that? In Europe, right now, the seminaries are full of ladies. Now, I'm not mad at women, I'm just telling you, there are very, very few people going into the gospel ministry in Europe. 
in England, they've had, even in Baptist churches, most of the Baptist churches, most, about half of them over there are pastored by ladies now because there's no men in the ministry. And he asked the question, why is it that so many churches today are having the, they don't have any leadership? Well, the reason is people don't want to expect or accept spiritual authority and responsibility because they've never yet submitted to the authority that God's put over them. I don't want to be in spiritual authority, or I can't be. They're not qualified for spiritual authority because there's a rebellion in their heart that says, that person, God put them over me, but they're not really over me. When I was in high school, I was hoping uh, Alethea would be here because I was a trombone player. And I mean, I loved to march in the marching band. And because we were in the, the bass section of the band, we were kind of the bomber squadron at the back, and when we started playing, everybody knew it. And we go marching down the street, and here'd be Kendall Hill with his sousaphone, and then there's me and Tony and Chris, and, 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 and over here was a baritone girl, I can't remember her name, and it's only been 40 years ago. <clears throat> but we'd be marching down the street, and I'm telling you, it would be so cool. We're, we're, we're the band, here we come. Well, one of the ways that you were supposed to be able to stay in step was that Kendall, who was over here on the right, he would tell us, if we started to get out of step, it was his job to say, guide right! Guide right, okay. So what we were supposed to do here from my position is I'm supposed to look at his feet and get in step with him because he's right. Was he always right? Well, maybe not. But he had the authority as the guy at that end. It was my responsibility to follow him. Well, I can't tell you the number of times that I would look right, but then I would look left. And I'm in, I'm in line with Tony and Chris and the girl, and so I'm thinking, Kendall, why don't you just get in line with us and it'll all be good? I mean, then we'll all at least be in step. But you see, he had the authority. But the natural rebellion of my heart said, look, I'm right, you're wrong. Now, to this day, I don't know who was right and who was wrong, but I do know this. He had the authority to tell me to get in step with him. And many times, God puts somebody in authority over you and me, and they have the authority to tell us, straighten up and fly right, and what do we do? We bow up. Well, I know what I'm doing. Who do you think you are? Well, if they are put in authority over you by God, then they have the right to tell you to straighten up and fly right. It's called being submitted to the authority God puts above you. God calls us to obedience and submission, but instead, like mere common men, I'm talking about even church people, instead of just going ahead and doing what God calls us to do, we inspect the ones that God's put in authority over us looking for imperfections. I mean, they may have an imperfection that's real. Nobody's perfect. You might see that imperfection, and, oh, I can see, he's not perfect, I don't have to follow him. And we find them, or it's not even a real imperfection, it's just what we imagine. Or maybe it's one we perceive as an imperfection, but really it's their strength. And we find them wanting because we inspected them, and they don't measure up to where we think they ought to be to be an authority over us. Or instead of inspecting, we disrespect them. Dragging them down, trumpeting their faults, and kind of talking about them behind their back, and telling their failures, and twisting the facts. So we inspect them, we disrespect them, and then we reject them. Choosing our own way. What that usually means is we've got a problem with our personal pronoun. It's all about me. It's I. I know better. I got it figured out. And problem is, rebelling against God's delegated authority is really rebelling against the God that gave that authority to you. It's an undeniable truth. I heard Adrian Rogers say at one time, you'll never be over the things that God puts under you until you are under the things that God puts over you. You're never ready to be in authority until you've been in submission. We have to repent 
of rejecting God's word. We have to repent of rebelling against God's order. But then third, we're going to need to repent about returning to our old lifestyle. You know, one of the saddest things that I've ever seen is somebody, they've been rescued from some habit, or they've been delivered from some uh, addiction, or they've been cleaned up from some mud pit, and they turn around and they go right back into that old lifestyle. It's gotten to be today, you know, God's kids are supposed to look different. We're supposed to not blend in. But you look around us today, and you honestly, you can't tell the children of God from the children of the devil. And really, the fact is, if you can comfortably live that old lifestyle that you're supposed to have left, if you can comfortably just seamlessly go right back into it, maybe it's time to ask yourself if you've ever really come out, if you've ever really started a new life. Because I'm here to tell you, no new life, no new birth. No new being, there was no new beginning. If there was no changed life, if we, then there's no new heart. You know, if somebody says, well, it's a pig's nature to go back to the pig wallow. Yes, it is. That's a pig nature. But you and I aren't pigs. But it is a sinner's nature to return to the scene of the sin. But according to our new birth, we're no longer that old sinner just now saved by grace. I'm not supposed to just have on a new coat of paint. I'm supposed to be different on the inside. I have a new nature. And we got to, by choice, we've got to, by faith, by His empowerment, repent of returning back to that old lifestyle. Can't you just imagine that, you remember the prodigal son, he goes back to daddy's house. Daddy's so happy to see him. He puts on the new coat. He cleans him up, puts on the new coat. He puts on the new sandals, gives him the ring on his finger. They go in, they have their banquet. And the next day, the prodigal says, you know what? I'm kind of missing the hog trough. I think I'll go back and eat some slop. Oh, that would never happen. Happens all the time. People who've come into the presence of God, who have enjoyed the life of a, of a believer, followed God, and they go back into a life of sinfulness. So, number one thing is for us to repent. That's our number one choice. It's not something you can do on your own. You're still going to have to have help. God's going to give you the strength to do this, but it is your choice to repent. So, second thing, the second thing here, and it's in the verse again, repent then and turn to God, or to return, as it says here in the NAS, therefore repent and return. That is, to not only turn away from sin, but turn to God. And I've preached this before. You've heard me say this before. But turning from sin is only half the problem. Turning over a new leaf is not enough. I mean, sometimes people think that the way they get, live the Christian life is to look themselves in the mirror in the morning, slap themselves real hard and say, get with it, boy, you're a Christian now. Get after it. That's not how you work it. You don't just say, well, I'll just stop doing that. I'll just be real strong and, and I'll just I'll picture something else in my mind and I'll never do that again. I'll turn in another direction. No, you can't just turn in another direction. You must turn to God. I'll quit, I'll start, I'll moderate. Listen, turning from sin, we must turn to God. Simon Peter, right here in Acts chapter 3, is speaking to devout God-seekers. All of them had come to Jerusalem seeking God. They were at the temple seeking God. They weren't heathens out there in the world basically just tripping along. They had come as God-seekers. And today, many church members, perhaps maybe even some of us right here in this room, We've known the words of God, we've known the wisdom of God, we've followed in the way of God, but, but while we're turning away from sin, rather than turning all the way back to God, we turned in another direction. And the mandate is to return to God, finding as we turn a new devotion. That is, I'm no longer going to be going to church for what's in it for me. I'm no longer going to be coming to God to see how much prosperity and ease that I can get. 
I'm no longer going to be coming to God for the... I want to go to God and have Him bless my plan. Because i got this great big plan. God, would you bless my, my plan? I think it's one of those things I've, I've actually written it down because it's kind of almost profound. But God does not bless what God does not start. God does not bless what God does not start. And many of us need a fresh, new, clean devotion to His will. A fresh, new, clean devotion to His way. A fresh, new, clean devotion to His word. Even if I don't get my way. Even if I don't get my credit. See, Jesus taught us to pray. And when He did, He, he taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come. A lot of us have the problem, we go to God and we it's so much about me. It's, it's almost as if we're praying, God, my kingdom come. Lord, would you help my kingdom come? Lord, would you help me be... be? And it's, it's, it's not, not that way. We need to turn to God and find a new direction. As we return to God, also find a new direction. A new direction. Look for and fight. Sometimes we're fighting ourselves, but fight to achieve God's priorities. I think that's something we can all look for and we can all understand. God has a program. God has a purpose. Let's work for that. Let's find that out. Because listen, you, you're not on the same soccer team you used to be on. I mean, is the World Cup over? I don't, I don't know. I'm not a soccer fan. But, you know, if you're on one team and you're wearing the red jerseys and you decide to change and be on the blue team and wear their jerseys, you're going to start kicking at a different goal, right? You're not going that way anymore. You're going this way now. Some of us need to get our minds around the idea that we are no longer shooting goals for the flesh. We're not, no longer shooting goals for the world. We're no longer shooting goals for the devil. We right now are a kingdom kicker, and the idea is I want to start striving together with everybody in this congregation and every other brother and sister in Christ across the world to start getting some kingdom goals kicked. So I have a new devotion and a new direction. But finally, I want to turn to God to find a new destination. I wonder, as we go through 2019, how much time do you spend thinking about heaven? How much time do you spend thinking about where we're going to end up? You know, <clears throat> Sonia and I love to travel. Or I think I love to travel and she loves to go with me. Something like that. But sometimes we'll be planning a big trip. Like, let's say we're going to Italy or we're going to France or something like that. And we start to think about it a long time in advance. We might order travel brochures. We might get online and start looking at Google Maps and, and, and all sorts of things. And we start to get our minds on, we're going to be there, and we're going to see this, and we're going to do that. And, and, and we start to actually live toward that. And we'll even sacrifice some things that we could be doing now because, no, let's do that when we get to, say, Italy. Or let's do that, let's have that extra money when we get to, to France. And so as the moment approaches, we've looked up the history, we're getting more and more excited, and then we go. There's a whole lot of believers today, they're very happy they're missing hell, and they're okay that they're going to get to live forever in heaven, but they're not really excited to go there. Now look, I'm not in a hurry. Okay, I hope, If he's getting up a load for tomorrow, I don't really want to go tomorrow, but I hope to go. But the fact is that many of us are far more, far more concerned about our next vacation than we are about our final destination, that destination that he has, because uh, it, it's... Uh, the question I have for myself even is, do we long, do we yearn for heaven? Or have we become so comfortable down here that we'd just rather stay in this destination rather than that? Because what's really in heaven that makes heaven heavenly is Jesus. You see, what heaven really is all about is that real, eternal, unbroken fellowship with Jesus. That's, that's what makes the destination precious, the destination that we've been invited to claim. Because what would heaven be without Jesus? I mean, yeah, it'd be cool. I mean, streets of gold. 
foundation stones out of diamonds and jasper and, and, and all those other words you can't pronounce. Pearl gates. Gates so big they're made out of a single pearl, but it's a gigantic pearl. That's great. That's be wonderful. Trees of life that bear 12 kinds of different fruit. That's going to be exciting. Hey, there's going to be loved ones there. We can sit down and talk to Abraham and Isaac. We can even talk to the Apostle Paul and don't have to worry about hurrying because we've got all of eternity. That's, heaven's going to be great. But you know what makes heaven heavenly? It's Jesus. You have a new destination, and that destination is Jesus. Second new destination you have is Christ-likeness here on this earth. We're not concerned about getting to heaven. Sometimes we're not very concerned about becoming more like Him here. But let me move on. First of all, repentance. Second of all, returning. Turning to God is the follow-through. God doesn't save us so that we can just turn right around and go right back to the devil's work, right back to the devil's way. First repent, next return, and then we can know, and then we're in that position to have our sins released. And that's the next promise there, because in Acts 3.19 it says, what? Repent, therefore, and return, so that your sins may be wiped away. So that your sins may be wiped away. I want that release. And I know that's the, the, that's the thing that God offers to us. It, it, and that, I love that word, that it's, it's wiped away or blotted out in another translation. Um, it, it's a bookkeeping term. It really means to erase a debt. And if you all would like to have a debt erased, just somebody come along and just wipe it out. We're just taking it. It's like it was on a slate that you owed X dollars or X denarii or however much it would be for these people, and then somebody just came and wiped it out. You're clear. You're clean. You don't have to worry about that anymore. It's ending a liability, just like editing a ledger. It's gone. So you go from guilty, owing a debt, to innocent, released from that guilt. That's what this is all about, being released from that sin. Friend, He has removed your sins as far from you as the east is from the west. The Bible tells us that He has buried our sin in His forgetting sea. And He sees you today. If you're a believer, He sees you through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of your efforts at law keeping, all of your trying to be good, all that stuff is, I guess it's worthwhile here on earth, but it doesn't change how God sees you. It's whether or not you've been born again by the precious blood of the Lamb. And then when He looks at you through the righteousness of Jesus, He has released you from sin because you've repented and returned to Him because of the finished work of Jesus at the cross, because of the finished work of Jesus at the tomb, because of the finished work of Jesus at the resurrection. And for everyone who has returned, repented, and turned to God, your sin has been dethroned. Many of us used to live with that sin on, our, on the throne of our life where everything we did surrounded that sin and everything we did was it to, to follow and to be a part of that sin. And that sin that once ruled and controlled your life, according to the promise of this verse, that sin has been thrown down. That sin has been overthrown and there's a new king on that throne. And by the way, there's only room for one on the throne of your heart. Either you will be there with all of your sin and all of your guilt and all of your shame because you still have your sin, or Jesus will be on that throne with all of His mercy and all of His grace and all of His wisdom. And the Bible tells us in Romans, sin shall have no more power over you. Why? Because you've come to God, because your sin has been wiped out. No ship, though, can have two cap captains. In fact, Jesus said it this way, you cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus said it this way, no man can serve two masters. Because of Calvary, sin has been dethroned. But not only has it been dethroned, sin has been defanged. 
Sin has had its teeth pulled. That old serpent can no longer deliver a death blow to you. Sin can no longer come in at will and strike and devour you. I don't have to tell you how sin can bite and devour. Many of us have lived through the, the, the problems and the horrors that sin has brought. But you know, in fact, um, anybody pay interest on anything? Some of you guys, you know what interest is? Interest is the rent you pay on money that you borrow. That's what you're paying back. Basically, that's what it is. It's rent you're paying on, on money. And you pay more rent on what comes up later on. It's, just, it's, it's like a snake. In fact, if they told us in the Institute of Basic Youth Conflicts back when I was a kid that what that word interest comes from is an ancient word that means to strike sharply like a serpent. Any of you all ever have some interest that struck sharply like a serpent? When they showed you here, you're, you're borrowing $185,000 for this house, but this is what you're paying back, and it was between it was $390,000. It's like, <laughs> I can't even whistle that loud. But that's what interest is all about. It's a snake that bites. But that snake of sin has been defanged. Sin shall no longer have its power over you because you have been released. Sin has been dethroned. Sin has been defanged. But thank God sin has been denied. In the blood of the Lamb and by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, sin has been, that is that old thing, that habit that once defined you, that thing that once dogged you, that thing that once defiled you, that old sin is no longer a part of your identity. Not it's a part of your past, but it's not a part of your future. One of the things that bothers me, and I guess maybe it shouldn't, but you know, y'all know the name Bartimaeus. What goes before that word, always? Blind Bartimaeus. Yeah. And, and sometimes we think about, I understand what you're doing. You're trying to find, this is the story of blind Bartimaeus receiving his sight. That's what we call him. But you know what? I don't think he ever called himself that. That was part of his identity because, but then there came a day when he's no longer blind Bartimaeus. Now he's sighted Bartimaeus. You know, we think of the Gadarene demoniac. Oh, the Gadarene guy. He was full of a legion of demons. But not, he's not now. There was a day when he had that, but then sin was dethroned, sin was defanged, sin was denied, and he walked away from it because of the power of God, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that sin was denied. He was freed. The prodigal son, we call him that. He was the son who returned. Because actually it turns out that it was the older son that stayed prodigal. Because at the end of the story, he was still separated from his father, only now by pride instead of by sin. You are no longer that same old sinner that you were. Yes, you still sin, and yes, that's still part of our lives, but your sins, according to the Scripture, your sins have been blotted out. And when you come back to Him in repentance, returning to Him, the promise is your sins will be blotted out. But then here's the fourth one, and this is so precious. The fourth promise there is that we can receive. We can receive. As it says there at the end of the verse, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The times of refreshing that come from where? From the presence of the Lord. You see, I'm convinced what we really need is a booster shot. When I went to Malawi, oh my goodness, I don't remember how many shots I had to have because I was going to a third world country with all kinds of mosquitoes and everything else, and there were two or three things I'd already had, like the tetanus shot, and they said, well, you're going to have to have a booster. Well, I just had it three years ago. You still need a booster. I thought, well, all right, slap it on there. Oh, no, it's this great big honking needle. Okay. We come in times of desperation. We come in times of weariness. We come in times of great 
pain and problem. And what we need is a booster shot of God's Holy Spirit. We need a booster shot of His glory, a booster shot of His grace and goodness. You see, the answer to our greatest need as a lost sinner is the same answer to our greatest need as an exhausted saint. A weary, working warrior can have a booster shot, can have a fresh filling of God's Holy Spirit. And so I will say to the weary, working warrior, that some of us are, don't give up. Don't you despair. Because today, today, through the same process, you say, well, I don't think I need to repent. I've already returned. He's already released my sin. Then what He wants to do today is to give you a fresh filling of Himself. You say, I thought we had that one time. Yes, you, you did. When you were baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, you, he, he came to live within you. But the Bible talks about one baptism, but many fillings. And some of us just desperately need a new filling, a fresh filling of that same Jesus who, who lived and then died and lived again, who was risen and is coming back. We need the fresh filling of His Holy Spirit who was baptized, or poured out and baptizing us into the body, and then a fresh filling of the Father because He's inviting us today with a simple, intimate personal relationship to himself. This morning, I know that I'm not the only one that feels like we're at a time of red alert. I'm talking about his First Baptist Church, Cole. Just going to talk to you like family for a few minutes here. Because we're in a place right now that I've never thought, many of you never thought we'd be. There's 40 people in this building today. Two years ago, it would have been around 140. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not trying to be angry. But what I'm telling you is that many of us are weary. And many of us have worked through this and fought through this and hurt through this and, and brokenheartedly come to church and wonder, why? What is going on? I'm telling you, even as a church, we can have a time of refreshing. How can each one of us, each family, the whole church, how can we come to be a candidate for a time of refreshing? We're going to have to start the same way this Scripture to repent. Is there anything in my life, in your life, in the life of this church from which we need to repent? Because we're going to have to reject the, 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 uh, the well, we're going to have to stop rejecting the authority, the Word of God, stop eject, object, rejecting those that God put in authority over us, stop returning to sin. Instead, take that new direction. Just, just as it says there in Acts 3.19. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let Him refresh you. Let Him refill you. Let Him restart you. Brother Robert, now wait a minute. I listened to this whole sermon. That's a salvation verse. That verse is a part of an invitation. That's about salvation. That part of... That's Part of Peter's invitation there on the day when the man was healed at the gate, beautiful. Absolutely true. And the lost man can come to God through this verse by following that pattern. Absolutely true. But that doesn't change the fact that this same pattern holds true for you and me when we start to have times of weariness when we start to have times of wandering, we start to have times of just being that warrior that says, I don't know, I just can't seem to figure this out. First John 1 John 1.9 is for you and me. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's still for you and me. So for the weary working warrior, the invitation this morning is to come and get a booster shot. For the person that's never been born again, the invitation this morning is to be saved.
and accept from Him both the release from your sin and the presence and the power of His Holy Spirit. God wants to bless you. God wants to touch you. God wants to meet you today. And as a congregation, let's go to Him. Let's pray. Thank you.